welcome to the Cedar House Church Sermon of the Week. Our desire is to remain in God's presence, explore His passions, and supply tools that serve and inspire. <laughs> Thank you. Hello, am I on? Oh, cool. Good morning, everyone. All right, so that was a test and you failed. Let's try it again. Um, I want you guys to be engaged this morning. We're going to be together for the next, what, 45 minutes to an hour? If we're going to do this, we might as well do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Let's be here. So we're going to try this again. I'm going to say good morning, and I don't know what it's like in Baton Rouge, but where I come from, when people say good morning, we usually respond with good morning back. <laughs> um, and your level of enthusiasm is going to probably nurture our rapport, right? So I'm going to try it again. I'm going to give you a second chance. Good morning. Good morning. Wow, okay. We can work with that. I like it. Oh, my name is Mike, by the way, those of you who don't know me. Um, I'm going to introduce my team real quick. I want you guys to know who they are. We're going to jump right in. So can you guys come up to the front? I want them to introduce themselves. Can you guys welcome my team to the stage? Yeah, my name is Andrew Maniachi. I'm originally from Austin, Texas, but I live in Reading now. I work full-time for Bethel, and I help serve Mike in his NUMA ministry, and I'm really excited to be here. And you want to talk about discernment? Yeah, so he teaches on discernment. That's his main thing. And uh, discernment for me has really changed my life because it was something that was always happening to me as I was growing up. And finding out about what Mike teaches has really transformed my perspective on reality and, and what's real and what's not and how I can actually participate and actually have victory in every area of my, area of my life because discernment allows me to know, okay, God's doing this and not this, and, and it's really been a huge blessing. So that's why I'm here. Hi, my name is Annabelle. Um, I'm originally from Texas, but I have been in Northern California for the past six years. And I help run a few of Mike's things, classes, coaching, stuff like that. Um, and yeah, I think discernment has affected me in a lot of ways. Um, it's definitely changed my life. I used to think that um, deep down inside, I was just really mean and I was really good at hiding it. And it turns out that's there's actually something to that. Like what I was aware of, it's actually a gift. And I remember, I think I've had a conversation with Mike maybe like two months ago. And he was like, hey, what if like the way that you love people and serve the Lord is by having those hard conversations and actually get, like being able to tell them what's real and what's not and where they're coming from and <laughs> what's actually true there. And that has been life changing. So glad y'all are going to be able to hear a little bit more today. Yeah. Hey guys, I'm Brett. Uh, <laughs> I used to come here about three years ago before I left to go to Bethel. I'm from Ponchatoula, and I just moved back, so I'm here for a little bit. <laughs> um, yeah, I served with Mike. I was on um, his expansion team and just helping him in his all around building stuff and everything for him over there in Reading. But uh, what discernment did for me, it helped me understand like what was happening inside. What was I feeling? What was I experiencing in my day-to-day -day life? It put, he helped me put language on what was going on with me. and helped me understand the gift and sharpen the gift to be able to use it to, for God's benefit. So take good notes today. Thank you, guys. Um, oh, yeah, actually, can you pass one of those? You guys, I, this is funny. I, so I wrote, I heard there's like, some people might have problems with social media here. I don't <laughs> so I'm going to tread lightly. I love social media. I think it's super helpful. It's a great tool. It's like a piece of art for me. I post a lot of stuff regularly. Um, and so for a while, I was getting a lot of strong feedback from the things I was writing on my social media. And people just kept asking me, write a book. Do you have a book? Do you have a book? And I'm like, I don't have a book. I don't want to have a book. So one day, I decided, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a book together. I'm just going to grab a bunch of the best loved quotes that I'd written out on social media and compile them into a single work. So I did. I made a book, and it's called The Mike Board. Um, yay, yeah. So I, I'm not the guy that wants to run around selling product. I don't really want to devote my life to that. But I brought <laughs> five books with me in my suitcase. 
So this one I'm going to give away for free, and then Annabelle has four other books. If you want to buy one from her after today, it's twelve bucks. I just I just created scarcity. I'm sorry. She's there. She gets to deal with that. I've got this book. Hey, Stacy, I'm gonna let you figure out who's gonna get that book for free. It's great. All right. <laughs> We're gonna toss that book. Nice. We good? Okay. Great. That's. Wow, that was exciting. Okay. Oh <laughs> uh, wow. Okay, so. We just spent the last two days getting into the gift of discernment, the ability to distinguish between spirits. It's a weird gift. It's a weird subject. And a lot of people don't want to talk about it. So I elected to do it um, because it's important. It's something that I am afflicted by. I have to deal with it whether we talk about it or not. So I was like, if I'm going to deal with this, the rest of us are going to deal with it. Um, and there are a bunch of people in the church who are also gifted in the same way. Um, those of you who've been in this journey for the last couple of days, how many of you are gifted in discernment? Can I see your hand? Fascinating. Okay, so that was like well worth our time to invest in that and go after it. This morning is not disconnected or separate from the discerning of spirits conversation. It's like the conclusion, if you will, to the saga of what we just went through. Those of you who weren't here, don't worry. This morning, just as relevant. So... Just call me a genius. You're welcome. We worked it out. <laughs> um, but I want to tell you a little bit about my story first so you guys can have some context for who I am and then we're going to get into this. Oh, um, I'm going to have this clicker. At some point, I'm going to be using some slides so we can be ready for that. Uh, okay, so I grew up in the church. I went to church for the first time when I was four years old. My parents got saved through some business contacts they had. And so they took me to a Baptist church. And so I went, went to Sunday school for the first time. They left me in this room with a bunch of other children and a giant woman in a blue dress that I did not know, and they took off. I'm like, where are you going? And this woman, I learned for the first time many things I'd never heard of before. Things like God, Jesus, hell, <laughs> eternity, sin. I mean, I can go on. It was terrifying. I was told that I was dirty and evil. I was born with a sin nature that we all are. We're all nasty. It doesn't matter how good we try. Our good deeds are like filthy rags to God, right? I'm like, well, that's, that's bleak. <laughs> and as we go through life, you know, we just continue to mar up our ledger. We are just, we're sinful and we can't not sin, right? And the only way, what happens is if you die like that, you go to a place called hell that's orange and hot and you, you don't go there like this. You go there in a different kind of body. You have like a super suit. And you burn forever. You don't turn into charred black and then disappear. You just continue to burn and burn and burn. And this woman in this blue dress went out of her way to explain this to me in detail. I am four. I'm like... Um, the only way to be spared from this nightmare is to invite Jesus, a man who got nailed to a cross... 2,000 years ago, invite that guy to come into your heart to be your Lord and Savior, to forgive you and save you, right? And I'm like, this is all very weird information. Didn't know any of this, right? It's a lot to take in. And so at the end of scaring the living daylights out of these children, the teacher's like, okay, how many of you want to accept Jesus? Raise your hand. <laughs> and I'm, I'm four, but I'm not an idiot. I'm like, I'll take Jesus. Susie, what's up? And so thus began my Christian career. I entered into the Christian religion and went after it, and I got enrolled into private school right away. Also not normal. <laughs> also not normal. Every teacher we had had a paddle, and we got spanked for doing bad things. Um, I remember we heard that the, the principal, who was also the pastor of the church, had a big black paddle. And I was like, what? Because most teachers' paddles were, I right, need to show you visually, like this big with a little handle. And they're brown, right? Like wood. The, the pastor's paddle, I imagine, was like a giant black piece of a tree that you just get clubbed with, right? <laughs> and I was in preschool, kindergarten, and there was a weird little slit in the door that was wider than normal. And one day, I don't know how this happened. I don't know if it was a prank or what. 
but I'm just like standing near the door. I'm talking to kids, whatever. And the principal's black paddle slipped through the door and fell down the stairs, this giant, terrifying piece of discipline. And we all screamed and took off running <laughs> from that situation. And that was like so scary, right? And I had gotten spanked a few times, which was humiliating because I was like a leader and people respected me. And so it was really embarrassing for me to get spanked and it happened. And I'm like, oh, this is awful. And then one day, we used to walk on the top of the monkey bars at recess. Did you guys ever do this as kids? I don't recommend it, but it was awesome. Walk, right? And so I jumped off the monkey bars to the ground and my friend Ryan, who was like a foot shorter than me, I don't know why, decided to throw his fist up when I landed and socked me right in the chin when I got to the ground. And that did not feel good. So out of my anger, I shoved little Ryan to the ground. And my teacher saw that moment. Didn't see the chin clocking, she saw the shove. We both got sent to the, the pastor, the principal's office. And I'm like, the principal? The black paddle man? <laughs> so we both went in there, and guess what? We got spanked with the black paddle. It was awful. And guess what? Like, all the kids had gone back to class, and we're not in class, which isn't normal, right? So, and then we got to walk back up this sidewalk to where our classroom was, and all the fourth graders were going to, to lunch. He's sobbing his eyes out, holding his butt cheeks. I'm like, bro, just get some dignity. <laughs> Be cool. He's just, and I'm like, ooh, and I'm trying not to cry, but it's humiliating, right? We're both walking back, having just been paddled by the black paddle. Anyway, this was my introduction to Christianity and leadership and authority and... <sighs> Fast forward, I studied the Bible. Like, we had to memorize passages of scripture to get a grade, right? And I just learned performance very intensely. Like, to do the right thing, be good, whatever. Um, and I was good at it. I, I was really good at coming across humble, and nice, I was really nice. Uh, and I knew all the answers. I, every time the teacher asked a Bible question, I'm, I'm the guy. Yep, I know the answer. I'd, I'd wait, let the other kids try. I'm like, okay, let's end this. This is the answer. <laughs> that was me. And I'm not proud of that, but that I was. I was proud of it. Um, and then when I was 18, I started getting a little bit more honest about this process, about this experience. And I'm like, what's so, sincerely, like, what's so great about Christianity? What, what do we have that's like, better than the drugs and sex and rock and roll out there? What are we offering people to come into that they're giving up all that for, you know? I was like wrestling with that. And I was like, I think I've reached the pinnacle of Christianity and it's not that good. Like, this is not awesome. Uh, and so that wasn't super fun for me because I'd invested my, my life into this, right? And then one day I went to church and I don't know why this day, you know, I don't know why these things happen when they do sometimes, but this one random Sunday morning, everything's the same like every other Sunday we go to church, but this time things were different, and I met Jesus for the first time. Like, there was a person communicating with me at a deeper place than other human beings don't know how to get to. And he, when he would speak, it was doing something to me, and I'm like sobbing because I didn't know this was even possible. I didn't know I could know God like this, right? And I, I knew God up to this point. I told people about God. I I made people pray the prayer so they wouldn't go to hell, right? Like, I got the deal. I understood it. And then all of a sudden, this Jesus person I've been talking about my whole life is talking to me. And he's different than I was expecting. He's different than I told people. I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> this is uncomfortable and amazing, and right? So fast forward. In my genuine journey of trying to understand Christian Christianity, I realized, I was like, in, like a sophomore in high school. I'm like... I know that the pinnacle of what we're supposed to be doing is loving God and loving people, right? Like that's the deal. We're supposed to love the Lord with all our God, with love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Like the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. It, the whole point is this. And so I was like, do I love people? Do I love God? Like I know I should and I want to. Do I though? And as I was being honest with myself, I'm like, I don't know if I do. Maybe. And I wasn't saying any of this out loud. Nobody around me knew that I was wondering these things, right? Because I was a Christian. <laughs> They're not going to know that. But in my heart, I'm like, oh, I, don't know if I, I don't know if I know what love is. I, I get the concept. Do I actually have that in my heart for God, for people? I don't think I do. I never said that out loud. It was this dirty little secret I just left in the back of the corner of my heart. Maybe I don't. I don't know. It's concerning. So fast forward when I met Jesus it was like every few months something would happen and I would run into him again. Like, oh God, there he is. And um, things would happen to me that we're going to get into. But before we get into that, let me just talk about, is this working? Oh, yeah. All right. 
Um, we're going to skip that. Are we in the right spot? Okay. Um, Melanie, can we go to the beginning of that? I think we were at the end. Sorry. We were at the last discerning speed slide. Let's go to the beginning one. Um, so I would, in, like, we would call this encounter God, right? I would experience him like in that space with me as if we were talking face to face, only like spirit to spirit, which is more intense. Oh, yeah, there we go. We're good. Okay. Um, so let's read this scripture real quick just to set the tone and we're going to get into this. Okay. So Matthew 22, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees talking about Jesus, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer asked him a question, testing him and saying, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And then in John 13, a new commandment, Jesus says, I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have, have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another, right? So this message is profoundly focused on throughout the New Testament. It's about love. This is not about doing what's right anymore. This is about loving God and loving people, right? Um, and so I got that this was important. I understood that. And like being, I'm half Japanese. So the Asian part of me wants to get it right. I want to do it right. I want to be accurate. I want to be successful. The deal is love. Cool. Let's love then, right? So I had to genuinely ask myself, what is love? Oh, what is it? If we're going to do this, what, what is the deal? I've got a kind of a scientific analytical thing going on here. So we're going to have to deal with that. But um, I started asking questions. When I started meeting God, I started having some kind of underneath understanding that I didn't know how like have English for, but I wanted to find it. So I started talking to everybody I knew and I'd ask them, what is love? I want you guys to think about that right now. If I were to ask you, I won't do this right now, but if I were to ask you the question, what is love? I want you to think about what your answer would be. Let's take a moment and genuinely in your own effort in English, what's your answer? If someone asks you, what is love? What would you tell them? So I presented this question to anyone who would entertain this conversation with me. My coworkers, my friends, my family members, my spiritual mentors, people at the grocery store line, literally. Anybody who would talk to me about this, I would go for it. And I'd ask them, what is love? And they'd usually give me this one, like, are you serious? What? And then they'd try. And it, people's responses basically boiled down into one of three categories. People genu generally believed that love was uh, a feeling, a choice, or a verb. Love is something that you feel. It's like how you feel towards somebody. That's, that was the most popular answer. Love is a choice. It's something you like, committed yourself to and you like, allied yourself with, right? And the last one that was the least common but common enough, love is what you do. It doesn't matter how you feel. You either have love or not based on if you're doing something about it, right? And so as I weighed out these responses from people, I'm like, yeah, I feel love. I, I get that. I agree. And I choose because of love for sure. And I do things because of love. I agree. I, I don't disagree with these being relevant, but I don't know if I could say that these, any of these three things define love. I don't know if they contain love is what I was wrestling with. I'm like, I don't know if these are sufficient. And so I kind of continued to just struggle a little bit on this journey. I'm like, I don't know if we know what we're talking about. Uh, and I wasn't trying to be critical or dismissive of anybody, but I'm genuinely trying to get to an answer here. Like, what is this actually made out of? How does this work, right? Um, so I'm going to show you guys some quotes from people that I've come across. These are not biblical. Some of these people are not even Christians. <laughs> they are poetic, though. They have their own line of work. And what they've articulated, I found to be profoundly relevant to my experience with love. And I was like, oh, this person gets it. I don't know. We're not, it's poetry. Like they're not giving me a definition, but they're scratching at it. They're like pointing to the same thing I've run into, right? So I want to read some of these with you guys just to like pepper the space, okay? So Simone Weil, love consents to all and commands only those who consent. <sighs> when I read this, I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know who Simone is, but she's my homegirl. She gets it. This is true. This doesn't define love, but this does articulate our relationship to love and the nature of love. Love consents or gives in to all and only commands the people who are willing to give in as well. This is true. Love is like this, right? We're trying to like describe this mysterious 
ethereal, untouchable thing. Um, Loretta Young, love isn't something you find, it's something that finds you. Uh, this is true. <laughs> it's horrible and true. Because you don't have control over this. And I'm going to make us a little uncomfortable today. I'm not trying to do that, I promise. I want you guys to get to grab at the real deal here. Like, I had to figure out, like, ugh. And some of you guys in this room are like, yeah, totally, I get it. We don't have control over whether we have this guy or not. It's not up to us. Oh, which is not good for someone who wants to guarantee results in their relationship with God. Not, not good to hear. Okay, let's keep going. Khalil Gibran, when you love, you should not say God is in my heart, but rather I am in the heart of God. And think not that you can direct the course of love. For love, if it finds you worthy, directs your course. This is true. It's awful and true. We, in our language, as we pass love around like an idea, like a commodity or whatever, we talk about love as if it's something that is subject to our will, something that we have authority over, something that we get to direct or give away or whatever. And I would like to propose, sincerely, underneath all this, that that's actually not the case. If we really look at the nature of love, it's not something that we have in a bottle and that we give to people. It's something that bottles us up and gives us away. That's, that's actually how that works, okay? And we want to understand the nature of that exchange because if we think we're the ones manufacturing and like exporting this, we're going to make some weird choices. And I don't know who we're talking to when we're doing that. Okay, let's keep going. Robert Southwell, not where I breathe, but where I love, I live. Oh, this one's more just like beautiful and poetic, but it's true. It's not where your heart's pumping, that you're living. It's when love is moving through you that you're actually living, right. right? Okay, so like we're touching some like deep, profound, important aspects of our existence here. Rumi, your task is not to seek for love, but merely to seek and find all the barriers within yourself that you have built against it. What, what I love about this quote <laughs> is it denotes a preeminence here that there's someone else doing something before us, which is our relationship with God. And I don't hear us talking about our relationship with God like this a lot, or at least I didn't in the church at that point in my life. This denotes that God is doing something before we do. That something is moving in spite of us and that we simply get to respond. And that is accurate to how the Bible describes our relationship with God. Religion has come into the Christian faith and taught us, let's obsess over what you do, what you can come up with, what you've accomplished, what you haven't done, what you did that was awful. Let's obsess over all of that stuff. And the Holy Spirit is obsessed over what Jesus did. The focus, the attention, the awareness is on him, on that finished work, on that you're completed, that you owe nothing anymore. You've been liberated from the debt of your depravity. This good news, this sigh of relief that is what we'll call the gospel. It's not, hey, welcome to this club that we're all hustling for, which a lot of Christians treat it like. We say the prayer so we can work just as hard as the rest of the other ones and earn our rank in heaven. Give me a crown, give me a mansion, give me whatever we earn for doing these things, right? It turns into this performance club and that's actually not the deal. We've been invited into absolute freedom. It's awkward. Like, Stacey kind of just stole all my notes from my sermon today. She's doing that transition in two minutes. I'm like, this is, this is my message. With and we didn't talk. <laughs> like, barely saw her this morning. But it's true. This is not about what we're accomplishing or what we're doing. This is about what he did. And getting to step into the, I don't have to anymore. I get to. I'm empowered, not demanded. Okay, C.S. Lewis. We all love him, right? We, get, we know C.S. Lewis. This guy's like, okay, I know that name. To, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. 
to love is to be vulnerable. <laughs> also horrible. <laughs> you guys, to let love move through us is to choose weakness. Ew. Especially all the men in here, am I right? Ew. No. That's not what we're celebrated for in our culture. Weakness? Ew. Get that away. Get that out of here. To love is to be vulnerable. To love is to be weak. Okay. First John 4, 16. So I came across this, and I, my little journey with love, it was all like, cute, and ooh, this is happening. And then I came across this, and I got like, it's like you're riding on a scooter flying down a hill like 15 miles an hour or whatever, right? And you hit a tiny little rock, and your ride is over, right? <laughs> you're no longer on that scooter. You're eating pavement. That this did this to me, okay? So first John 4, I'm going to read it. So we have come to know and believe that the love God has, that the love that God has for us, God is love, and whoever abides in us abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has but not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. And then I embolden this part because this is the little pebble on my little rocket down the hill. Ready? If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Horrible. This is awful. I was not expecting this. I'm like, oh, this kind of messes with what I thought I was understanding, the corner I was getting on God. I'm like, oh, I don't have any space for this. I don't get this. Because here's the deal. God is perfect, right? He's beautiful. He's kind and gracious and merciful and compassionate and all these things. And we can go on and on about what God is like, right? People, <laughs> people have a different list in my mind. People suck. <laughs> People are selfish. They're rude. They're violent. They're arrogant. Blah, 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 right? There's a list there. People. And John is saying to us, if you say you love God, but you hate people, you don't actually love God. I'm like, this, is, this makes no sense to me. I'm logical here, okay? Like, I want to, like, I'll, I'll reason with you, John. What, what are you talking about? God and people are not the same thing. They're different parties. How can you say this? This makes no sense. I was deeply troubled because I thought I was like figuring something out. And then all of a sudden I'm not figuring it out. And I was bothered for a couple of weeks. I, it, I couldn't let it go. Like I was not at peace with this. And so I just, it, it was like that pebble got stuck in my brain. It just like moved a little bit. I'm like, ah, oh, something's wrong. I don't know what to do with this. And so one day I was driving to a friend's house for my parents. I was taking a turn on this bridge I've been frustrated with this, this passage for a while. And then for whatever reason, in that moment, it clicked. It like dropped in my spirit and it made sense and I got it. I'm going to tell you guys what I found out. You're welcome. Um, but little lesson here on that. Ask and keep asking. Seek and keep seeking. Knock, keep knocking. To him who acts, asks, receives. To him who seeks, finds. To him who knocks, the door will be opened. If you don't get the answer you're looking for, don't just give up. Don't settle for what everyone else just has accepted. If you haven't found the truth, if you've not made contact with the spirit of truth, don't stop. Don't give up. Don't settle. Don't just get occupied by something that's lame. Stay bothered. Stay uncomfortable. Stay in it. And let God be the one to bring the answer to you. And refuse to move forward until he's the answer. Okay? Um, so taking that turn and it drops in my spirit and I realize this actually does make sense and is true. And here's how you ready. Love is not a feeling. Love is not the, the, the choice and verb. People are like, that's true. Love's not a feeling. I'm like, oh, hang on. Love's not a choice. We don't like that one. And love is not what you do. We don't like that one either. I'm saying love is not any of those things. Those things happen because of love. Those things are not love. Love comes, oh, 
Love has nothing to do with the beloved. God's love for us is not based on us. It's based on him. His love for us is based on who he is. I'm not saying we don't matter. I'm not saying he, what we are doesn't do something to him. It does, but it does something to him because he is love. And you intrinsically carry beauty and worth and value on your own because of whom you are of, because of where you came from, because of what you're made out of, okay? But when we understand that love isn't based on the person receiving it, there's space for this. Love is not based on whether this person deserves it from you or not. Whether they've proved they're worthy or they're going to take care of it or they're going to reciprocate. It's irrelevant. It doesn't matter. It's not about them. If you hate your brother, it's evidence you don't love God because his love for them is not based on how they behave, how they perform, how they've treated you. It's not based on that. It's based on him. And when he, like that, is moving through you, the love that you experience for other people is not based on them either. Because it's not your love. You don't have love. It's him. We talk about love in our culture in different ways, and there are four different Greek words for love. Why do they do this to us? I don't We have different types of love that we throw around, and we call all of them love. The love that God has for us, the love we have for our kids, for our spouse, for a certain show that we love. We throw this word around, right? And it can get diluted and mean different things eventually if we just continue to practice that without realizing that we've distorted our own relationship with the word. But at the end of the day, the love that God has commanded you to have for him and for other people is not based on them. It's based on him. And if we're not having that going through us, if that's not what we're giving away, then I'm going to say to you, like I had to realize for myself, you don't love God. You don't love people. And I'm not here to scare anybody. <laughs> but we all want to get nice and honest. Are we here just to feel good about ourselves or are we here to know the truth? Those are not the same thing. Because if we've been in bed with something that's not true and we encounter truth, we've got a problem. And we have to do something about that if we want to walk in the light. So my goal here today is to clarify, specifically in our culture, we talk about love, the commandment to love, in a way that I found was incongruent with what I experienced with God. And I had to repent. And I had to let go of some constructs that I was taught from other people that were not lining up with this book. Okay. So let's talk about the four different types of love in the Greek. Phileo is a companionable love. This love speaks of affection, fondness, or liking. Phileo is a love that responds to kindness, appreciation, or love. It involves giving as well as receiving, but when it is greatly strained, it can collapse in a crisis. Phileo is a higher love than eros because it is our happiness rather than my happiness. It's our happiness, right? This love is called out of one's heart by qualities in another. It's used in a number of terms, uh, times in the new, what? It is used in a number of times in its noun and verb forms in the New Testament. So we have the phileo, it's the brotherly love, right? When we talk about like giving a brotherly kiss, it's a phileo affectionate response. Phileo. Storge, this love has its basis in its own nature. Storge is a natural affection or natural obligation. It's a natural movement of the soul for husband, wife, child, or dog. It is a quiet, abiding feeling within a man that rests on something close to him and that he feels good about. Storge. Okay, so this is like where our family connection, it's not like a, this, it's not the deep, profound love we f feel for our kids. It's the, this person belongs in my life. I like them here. I feel comfortable and complete and normal when they're with me, right? It's that kind of affectionate, familial Recognition, storge. Eros, this love is erotic love. Eros is a love of passion, an overmastering passion that seizes and absorbs itself into the mind. It is a love that is an emotional involvement based on body chemistry. The basic idea of this love is self-satisfaction. Though Eros is directed towards another, it's actually, it actually has self in mind. For example, I love you because you make me happy. The foundation of this type of love is some characteristic in the other person which pleases you. If the characteristic would cease to exist, the reason for the love would be gone. The result being, I don't love you anymore. Eros looks for what it can receive. If it does give, it gives in order to receive. If it fails to get what it wants or expects, bitterness or resentment could develop. 
I know nobody in this room experiences what we're describing here, but people out there, this is very real for people. The philosophy of Eros is that being loved depends on being attractive in some way to another person. Because of this dependency, Eros would be considered a conditional type of love. Eros is not used in the New Testament. <laughs> Almost 100% of our media, movies, TV shows, books, whatever, almost 100% of these stories are based on this kind of love. And I'm sure that doesn't affect our culture. I'm sure, it, I'm sure it doesn't affect our relationship with what we believe and conceive love to be and what we expect and what's appropriate and what we expect from ourselves. I'm sure it doesn't affect us in any way. I am being sarcastic. Okay, agape. Dun, 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 dun. Agape is called out of one's heart by the preciousness of the object loved. It is a love of esteem, of evaluation. It has the idea of prizing. It is the noblest word for love in the Greek language. Agape is not kindled by the merit or worth of its object, but, its origina but it originates in its own God-given God nature. God is love. It delights in giving. This love keeps on loving even when the loved one is unresponsive, unkind, unlovable, and unworthy. It is unconditional love. Agape desires only the good of the one loved. It is a consuming passion for the well-being of others. There are only a few known occurrences of this word love outside of the Bible. In other words, this word was not used very often in, in extra-biblical writings. It is used approxim approximately 320 times in the New Testament. So when God says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, love your neighbor as yourself, the word love in that context is agape this altruistic unconditional love that comes from the heart of god that we are capable of giving away we are capable of being consumed by and releasing this perfect love that casts out fear moves through our person to other people okay first corinthians 13 this is the love passage right if i speak in the tongue of men and of angels but have not agape love I am a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, I'm a wizard in the church, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to be burned right to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. So here Paul is trying to describe love like our authors were trying to and like I was trying. This is Paul's version. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. This love thing is quite versatile. It's a lot of things, and it's not a lot of things. It always protects. Ugh, and the word always there means always. <laughs> it always protects. So you guys, like, when we talk about discerning spirits, the ice thesis side of this, the, your, your natural, rational ability to separate and judge a matter, you can check the love that's coming out of you and see, am I, is my agenda, is my motive here to protect this person? Or do I have a different agenda? If my agenda here is not to protect them, love is not where I'm coming from. Meaning this isn't God. Helpful, right? If my motive is not to protect them, then what I'm trying to do is not motivated by God. Amen. Let's discern that spirit. And you don't even need a supernatural ability to do it. Your rational mind can figure that out. As long as you're willing to be honest. If my, if my motive is not to protect them, the Lord is not motivating me. It's something else. Okay? Love always, oh God, trusts. The word always there is always. Love always trusts. We're going to pretend like that's not in there because that's a little too intense. <laughs> that's a little too... The what-ifs come up here, yes? Okay. <laughs> no. What about what if... Blah, 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 blah. We've got so many items on that list of but what if. Then can I stop trusting? And the Bible is unresponsive to those questions. Love always trusts. If the motive here is distrust, I don't trust you, you know you are not motivated by God. That's not God. It's kind of quiet in here. <laughs> Love always hopes. Always. The Greek word there always is always. If the thing that's motivating you is not hope, 
it's not God. If there's not hope in that scenario, in that pathway, in that choice, it's not God. And you don't need the gift of discernment to know that. All of us are capable of understanding this. Love always perseveres. Love doesn't give up. Love doesn't quit. If you want to throw in the towel, you're not being motivated by God to quit. I don't mean quit an endeavor or a business or whatever. That's different. I'm talking about your regard, your willingness to stick with it with people. When you're like, I'm out. It's not God telling you to quit. I'm not talking about not having boundaries, not having conversations, not having appropriate expectations of how people behave and addressing dysfunctional relationships. I'm not talking about those things, but God doesn't quit on people. He doesn't allow and perpetuate dysfunction, but he doesn't give up. When you want to give up, it's not the Lord removing you from the situation. It's not God. Okay? And then we conclude this little part of the passage with love never fails. As in love wins. Love always wins. Always. In every scenario. As long as God is the one that's motivating you, inspiring you, moving you toward the thing, you cannot lose. Fact. Law. Period. We, we talk about how we can't change people, and I disagree. If your goal is to control them, then yeah, you can't change them. But if you're willing to love this person, they can't not change. Eventually, they will fall. They will quit. They'll give up. It's too tiring. Love is limitless, infinite, tireless. He won't quit. He won't give up. He won't like get deterred. He won't get despair. He won't turn them into the enemy. He just continues to beam like the sun. Hate, selfishness, fear, distrust is like throwing a cup of water at the sun, trying to put it out. <laughs> and they, how many times can they do that before they have to give up, before their arm falls off and the sun's still like... <laughs> right? Love never fails. And Paul's not being dramatic. It's not, he's not writing for Disney in this moment. He's telling you the truth about the nature of God, the nature of the love that has, you've been invited into you've been grafted into. And all of a sudden, being a Christian has a different connotation than just doing the right thing. Because we've got a lot of right things in our culture that are not love. And we'll get pat on the back for it. We'll get fist bumps. We'll get likes and follows for it. And God isn't doing it. Okay, I'm going to put this down for a second. Let me tell you a story. Um... I had met God at least once, right? Maybe, maybe twice. And I was going to this college group on Friday nights in Portland. This pastor was what we would call anointed. He was smeared by the Holy Spirit. When he spoke, you just needed to listen to him. You needed to know what he had to say, right? And this guy, I was listening to him for like eight, nine months, and he convinced me, not with any one point, I think just sitting underneath his teaching for a while, convinced me that God loved me. I accepted that idea. I was like, God loves me. I didn't know I accepted it until one day. Oh, crap. I'm in this college group service. The lights are off. The rock stars are on stage. Skinny jeans. Crazy hair. They're ushering us into the presence of God. And this college group I'm talking about, this purple-haired lady right here, was a worship leader there in Portland. Crazy. I know. And you guys, there were like 2,000 kids that would come every Friday night to this. It was crazy. Anyway, I'm in the middle of worship, right? And I was not expecting this, because I'd never experienced this before. And I'm going to say this for the sake of my perspective. I'm not talking theology right now. I'm just going to speak as, from my vantage point. God came into the room. Not expecting that. Didn't, didn't know he could do that, right? God showed up, and I was not prepared for this. Remember, I knew God. I understood God. I taught about God. Blah, blah, blah. God showed up, and he was different than I thought. I'm educated, professional Christian Mike, and this guy I don't recognize. He shows up, and I remember like growing up in the church, I'm like, what does the word glory mean? This word holy, what does that mean? I know we see it a lot, we, see, we use it, we talk about, we use the word holy sometimes, but what does it mean? And I would ask people, and I could tell, like, oh, they don't know what it means either. They're pretending right now. They're trying. That's, I, don't, I can't connect to that. I didn't know. Or maybe they were saying something true that I couldn't connect to or whatever. I never understood it. Until this moment, this guy comes into the room, and I'm genuinely shocked at the 
immensity of his person. Like the immensity, like the magnitude, the vastness. And in his vastness and intensity and immensity, every little smallest particle that you could possibly measure was clean, was pure, was perfect. I remember being like, holy cow, what? I've not experienced this before. I didn't know this was a thing. Um, I remember being kind of shocked at the innocence of this person. Like, I didn't ever think of God like that. But he was innocent. Big king of the world, Mr. Innocent. What? And he was coming toward me, if you will. And his intention toward me, his posture was he wanted to serve me. He was there to take care of me. And make sure I was, I was good. I'm like, what? No, no, stop, stop, stop. This is not appropriate. I don't know what to do with this. Like, this was not how he was supposed to behave, especially given what he was, that most of us have no idea. I'm like, oh my God, do we even know who this person is? I had no idea. I'm just, I, I, wanted to, I remember wishing that a hole would open up in the floor that I could crawl into and just disappear. Or I, I wished I was dead. Like, I didn't want to be around this person. I shouldn't be in the room with him. He was so other than anything I knew. He was holy. And I was weeping. I remember I just like, sobbing into my hands because I did not know this person existed like this. And uh, the lights came on after worship and people are getting back to their seats and I have a literal puddle of my snot <laughs> and probably still some tears sitting in my hands. And like the lights turning on, I'm like, Ugh. and I'm like, please don't look at me. Oh God, please nobody look at me. I'm like, oh God, there's, <laughs> what? And I wanted to ask for help, but I didn't want anyone to look me in the eyes because I know I look like a demon right now. Just red, wet, gross. I'm like, what am I supposed to do? And I brought a canvas bag. I'm like, think about what's in there. Bible, journal that I never write in, pen. Yep, there's no tissue. And I genuinely don't want anyone to look at me. I don't want to try and like cater to anybody else's attention right now. So I just made the decision. Canvas bag. I remember that night, every once in a while, while the pastor's preaching, there would be like a little glint off my bag. The, s the lights would shine on it. And I'm like, there's my snot. It's cool. And that began to happen week after week. Every time I'd go there, I'm just getting stripped. My world is getting rewritten. I am sobbing. Whatever's left of me is coming out of my face. I'm just getting emptied. And I don't, it's exhausting. You guys, crying that hard is exhausting. And crying that hard on a regular basis is exhausting, right? And I would notice when the lights would come on, I'd look around. Everyone around me, I'm like, whoa, do people know that something happened to all of us? I'd look at everyone and like, all of a sudden, we're all perfect. There's nothing wrong with any of us. We're not, nothing needs to be concerned here. We don't need to protect ourselves from each other. God came and now all of us are perfect. That was the word. I'm like, this is wild. And I would look at how people were acting and behaving. I'm like, I don't, they don't get it. Don't they realize that we've all just been like purified? We're all like perfect right now? What the? And I noticed it would last for a couple days and then it would kind of wear off. And the next week would happen, it would last for a couple days and then it would wear off. I'm like, huh? So it finally was like, oh, I wonder how long it'll last this time. I want to hold on to it. How do I keep it here? We're perfect. We're perfect. <laughs> and the more I behaved and participated in this, the more I realized like this wasn't, this wasn't us. Something was happening to me. People hadn't changed. I mean, some people might have had an emotional experience, but other people were just, they did the thing, and they're good, and let's go. And I'm getting ruined. And I'm realizing, oh, this is not happening to all of us. Something's happening to me. And it was probably the fourth or fifth time, I kind of feel like an idiot that it took me this long, but I finally realized, wait a minute. <laughs> I think this is love. I think what's happening to me, I think how I'm experiencing people is what the Bible is describing that makes us generous and kind and others focused, and gentle, and lowly of heart. It's happening to me. I'm not doing this. I'm not working into it. This is not based on my discipline or my theology. Something is happening to me, right? And from that place, I started realizing love is not a feeling. It is not a choice. It's not we do what we do. Love is a spirit. I did not have language for this back then, you guys. I wish I did. I was going crazy. If people mentioned the name of Jesus or started talking about God, I would start crying. Like I would cry on Friday night and then I started crying outside of Friday nights. I would cry on my way to work. I would cry at the grocery store. If I saw a human being being kind to another person, I would weep because there was Jesus. He was there. 
He was there. He was there. And how unaware are we? Oblivious, detached. He's there. I couldn't, I was unshielded from God. And it was exhausting. It was vulnerable. I felt out of control. I couldn't stop. And so I sobbed often. It was embarrassing. And I was a dude. And before this, I wasn't really in touch with my emotions. So to cry that much was so out of nowhere. And people were, I had several best friends who were like, each of them, a few, a few of them, like three different of them at different times pulled me aside and they're like, okay, but dude, seriously, are you okay? I'm like, yeah. Like, I'm just, I'm noticing you're crying a lot, man. Like, do, do you want to talk? Like, I'm, I want, I'm like, and I'd start talking and all I could tell him, all I could say was how beautiful Jesus was. And I can hear myself. I'm like, I sound like a broken record. They think I'm crazy. I don't know what else to tell them. And I would just sob because Jesus is beautiful. Because he's love. And he's in love with us. And oh. I remember one time I made the mistake. I was driving to work and I thought about Jesus. And I literally had to pull over because I couldn't see. I was crying so hard. I'm like, what is the deal, dude? I remember one time I was at work. <laughs> and I made the mistake of thinking, I imagine, if Jesus was physically here right now, what would I do? And so I imagine him physically walking up to my desk. And then I just started sobbing. <laughs> And I'm like a supervisor of a staff of 14, and I'm sobbing at my desk. I'm like, this is not good. So I got up to go to the bathroom. I'm like, oh, we've got a, a private bathroom in the warehouse over here. I'm going to go to that bathroom and lock the door. And so I walked in. One of the girls on my team like, looked at me. She was on the phone. She's like, and I was like, oh. <laughs> Went to the bathroom, locked the door, sank to the floor with my back against the door, and just sobbed because I could not put somewhere sensible that Jesus was real. I, did, I didn't know how to like, make sense of this because the Jesus I learned about was not this person. I didn't know how to like relate to him. And as I imagined him being there, I was like, I think all I could do, all I'd be able to do is sink to the floor and cling to his robes. He's wearing a dress, I'm sure. All I could do is cling to his robes and sob because he exists. And not because he's doing anything for me, not because he's saying anything, but because he exists the way he is. It was liberation. It was safety. It was validation. It was freedom. It was love. And so when we talk about discerning the spirit and like addressing dysfunction or evil in our midst and in our communities or whatever, it's important that we do that. We don't want to partner with the enemy. We don't want to say yes to distortion or sin or whatever. We want to say no to that stuff. It's important that we do. Love says no to those things. Love is not afraid of those things. He's not offended by those things. He's not trying to protect himself from that stuff. And so when we find ourselves trying to protect ourselves, like, well, love always protects. I'm like, yeah, he doesn't protect himself. Love protects the beloved. So when you find yourself protecting yourself, in a relationship, you know it's not God. Which I know is inconvenient. I know it's messy. I know it's scary. I know it's painful. I know. I get it. I get it. Here's the thing. We don't need to get that. We want to get him. We want to walk with him. We want to learn how to love. No, that's wrong way to say that. We want to learn how to let love direct us. Let love give us away surrender to the reality that we don't have authority over this person. That he is the one who gets to give us away. That's the deal. So when we're discerning the spirit, when we're addressing sin in somebody's life, or something heinous that shouldn't have happened, or something that hurt us, or that we feel disconnected because of, we want to check what is motivating me to say anything to this person. Have I sterilized my hands? Am I going into this ready and clean to help them? Or am I here to do damage? Am I here to protect myself? Am I here to put them in their place? Am I here to dis, uh, subdue them? God doesn't do that. If you're going to do something that God doesn't do, my advice to you is don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. And not because of how people are going to judge you. That's barely relevant. Most people won't even know it's ever happening, right? It's not because of that. It's because what you align yourself with, if you choose to do something God's not doing, you're being motivated by something else. You will be occupied by something other than God. 
And you don't want that to be what's in your life. God produces abundance and freedom and hope and joy and peace and gentleness. He produces that stuff. You don't make it up. He pr- produces it out of you. And you actually become surprised. Like, look what just came out of me. Oh my gosh. I'm thankful. I'm kind. Not I feel kind. I had a moment of kindness. I'm a kind person. It starts to come out of you. It's not a thing you did. It's an extension of your identity. And it has his name on it. And you're like, this came out of me? I'm generous. I'm brave. I'm humble. And you get to boast in this? You guys, I was just going to go off about how amazing I am right now. It's a waste of our time. But you get to boast in that because I get to boast in it because I didn't come up with this. I'm not boasting in me. What's coming out of Mike, these beautiful things that I'm producing, these attributes, these qualities are proof that God is here. And I didn't do it. So I can boast about all I want. I'm not taking credit for this. You guys can judge me all you want. It doesn't matter. I don't care. I got saved from you. (laughs) Okay, that's concerning. The blood of Jesus liberated me from you. And I'm free to get to celebrate who Jesus is and what he's doing in my life, regardless of how you perceive that. I get to bear witness to what he's done. Whether Jesus is of God or not, I can't tell you. What I can tell you is I once was blind, but now I can see. I don't need to give you a theology to that. I'm telling you this guy saved my life, right? It's all we've been asked to participate in. It's all we've been asked to give. Who is he? What has he done? Is he finished with you? Or is it still coming? Did it happen this one time? Is it a memorabilia thing? Or is God still cranking out gentleness and kindness and love? in you. The gift of discernment is, hey, this is awesome. This is not. Beautiful, gross, holy, unholy, true, false. The gift helps us identify both. Helpful. We want that. The gift is meant to be powered, to be energized, to be motivated by and governed by love. Love. Yeah. God is love. Love is not a verb. It is not a choice. It is not a feeling. Love is God himself moving through your being. And he brings feelings. And he brings choices. And he compels us to do stuff. But those things are results of love. Love is him. And we're not here to do stuff. We're here to be filled with him. I'm going to close with this. I woke up one morning in this dreamlike state. I'm like, what's happening? And I could see this cup sitting on this table, and there's a tablecloth on there, right? And it's like three-fourths of the way full of water. I'm like, oh, this cup is just sitting there. And I know there's something something's supposed to happen, and I'm waiting for God or whatever to do something here. I'm like, okay, what's happening? I'm just looking at this cup. And the Lord basically like waits for me. I was like, oh. He's like, what, what should happen here? I was like, the cup should tip over. So in my mind, I tipped it over, and the cup tipped over and the water spilled onto the tablecloth and God was like that's good and I looked at the soaking wet tablecloth and I realized in the moment as believers our job is not to analyze the cup or the water test its temperature its viscosity its density its freezing point like we're not supposed to study this thing how big is this cup how much of it can it hold how long will it last does it get moldy at some point we, we all want to think about those things and just get nice and professional about the cup and the water, right? And that's not the point. It's not about the cup. It's about that water getting out and us being soaked. Don't study God. Be full of him. And as you are full of the Lord, you will learn things, you will know things, you will teach things that will happen, but it's not because you're brilliant, it's because you're intimate. We want to be soaked with the spirit of God. And from that place, you're going to discern stuff like crazy. And it'll be love that compels you. And you will get to say things your culture would never allow. And you will liberate people. And you will change the world. We discern because of love. Not to protect us from love. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, I'm... <laughs> I'm going to invite the worship team to come. Or sorry, no, not the worship team. The ministry team, can you guys come to the front? Is there a Cedar House ministry team? Do they want to come up here? 
Ministry team, would you guys come to the front? Just come to the front. If you guys need prayer, I'm going to pray, and then you guys are welcome to come up and receive prayer. If there's something the Lord's doing in you, you need a miracle in your body, um, whatever. They're, these guys are here to minister to you. I'm going to pray. Uh, I know some of you guys might not know each other very well, but can you make physical contact with the pe- person to your left and right? You can hold their hand. You can put your hand on their shoulder. You can, like, push your elbow against theirs, whatever you feel comfortable with, but make contact. I'm going to pray, and <laughs> we're going to close. Oh. Great. I'm going to pray, and then Landon's coming up. (laughs) Holy Spirit, we are so thankful that you are love. God, we're so glad that you're not hate, that you're not selfishness, that you're not oppression, that you're not control, you're love. We're so grateful (laughs) that you've brought us to this place. God, we give you permission. We invite you to show us who you are in us, to release your nature in us, to spill out into our relationships, into our workplace, into our social media, into our diary, into our mind, into our hearts. God, we give you permission to flood us, to soak us. We want to know you. We want to give you away. Yeah, thank you that you lead us into all truth. This is not something we do, it's something you do. We love you, we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit cedarhousechurch.com.